0: As we move into James chapter two, I'm reminded of people I've spoken to lately personally or heard about who have been hurt by the church. Maybe because of a lack of love, maybe because of the practice of partiality, maybe because of clicks, and they've been hurt. They're angry at God, they're angry at Christians, they're angry at the church. Maybe you're angry, maybe you've had that experience. James is gonna talk to us about the royal law, about not showing partiality, about loving each other as he has loved us. And that's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Throughout the history of the church, there's been seasons where the church became very stuffy, very elitist have you noticed in reading the New Testament that Jesus spent very little time with the elite of society? He was known as the friend of who? Tax gatherers and sinners, prostitutes, lepers, the poor. And in his own hometown in Nazareth, he opened to the book of Isaiah and he said, The Lord has anointed me, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to who? To the poor. To heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those who were in prison. And in other places, it says, Those who sat in darkness, when Christ came, they saw a great light, the light of Jesus. He came to bring hope to the hopeless. There's scriptures in the New Testament say that, that say that the Pharisees were lovers of money instead of lovers of God. They loved the best seats in the synagogue, they loved the greeting in the marketplace but they were void of the love of God. And in fact, they looked down on people who were poor, and they concluded that they were under the curse of God. That is so far from God's heart. An elitist mentality is not God's heart. In the 18th century Church of England, it had become so elitist and inhospitable to the common man that in 1739, John Wesley had to take to the cemeteries and to the fields to preach the gospel to the coal miners. They weren't allowed in the church. And there are stories from this era... Where Wesley is preaching the gospel with the power of God, and there are tears running down the face of coal miners, blackened faces. A white streak was left by the power of the gospel. They couldn't even get into these churches to hear the gospel because they had become excluded by their income, by their job, and by their clothing. And the church was a place where it was empty. Void of, could have been full of people, but void of the love of God. Arkane Hughes comments. Christian bodies all tend to succeed, calcify, and become elitist. As a woman who lived across the tracks and wanted to join a very fashionable church found out. She talked to the pastor about it, and he suggested that she go home and think about it carefully for a week. At the end of the week, she came back. He said, now let's not be hasty. Go home and read your Bible for an hour every day this week. Then come back and tell me if you feel you should join our church. Although she wasn't happy about it, she agreed to do it. The next week she came back, assuring the pastor that she wanted to become a member of the church. In exasperation, he responded, I have one more suggestion. You pray every day this week and ask the Lord if he wants you to come into our fellowship. Well, the pastor did not see the woman for six months. He met her on the street one day and asked her what she had decided. She said, well, I did what you asked me to do. I went home and prayed. And one day while I was praying, the Lord said to me, don't worry about not getting into that church. I've been trying to get into it myself for the last 20 years. (laughs) Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's written to a church. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It's possible to have something called a church, but it be devoid of the heart of God. If it's not about our Father's business, we ought to just go and do something else. In fact, we could argue that there's been periods of the church where it's been counterproductive to the cause. Because people have looked at that and said, that's the last place I want to go. If anything, we should default to love. Now, this congregation is a beautiful church filled with loving people. And that's, it's testimony as you hug each other. And some of you even give holy kisses. (laughs) I have some issues with a holy kiss, but I'm not going to go there. In verse 1, my brethren, church, brothers, sisters, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude. Maybe we should just stop there. <laughs> don't have a tood, man. Don't have an attitude of looking down at others because Jesus said even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark ten forty-five. Don't do that. Don't, James would say, don't have an elitist attitude. You see, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, some versions, if you have the ESV in New King James, calls him the Lord of glory. By the way, this is, a, this is an indication of his deity. In Psalm 24, this, is, this will sound familiar to some of you. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. And God says in Isaiah 48, 11, I will not give my glory to another. I won't share my glory. The fact that Jesus is called the Lord of glory means that he is God. And God came down in the person of Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord of glory. He left his glory, and he came down to earth, born in Bethlehem, growing up in a nowhere town of Nazareth to come and preach rescue and hope to poor people. And it doesn't just have to speak of financially poor. It's people poor in spirit. So I want you to see in the Old Testament, this is the book of Leviticus, go all the way back, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 19, where the heart of this passage comes from, God's heart for the poor, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, just before Numbers, chapter 19, we know Jesus was asked a question about the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, the second of those two, loving your neighbor, is set in a context that's very appropriate to what we're talking about. Leviticus 19, 15. You shall, 19, 15, you shall not... You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. Now, we should note that, that it shouldn't go too much in either direction. It doesn't mean that the rich are shut out. It doesn't mean if you're wealthy, you can't come to Christ. But here, it's just saying, don't be a person of partiality. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Uh, Leviticus 19.16. You shall not go, out, not go about as a slanderer among your people. We saw that earlier in James. And you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord, verse 17. You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But what's your Bible say? But you shall love your neighbor, as yourself, I am the Lord. Do you see that even the famous verse that we all know, and we might not have known where it was before today, is set in a context of not demonstrating partiality. Now, we all can be partial to certain types of people. But when you come to Jesus Christ, That partiality goes away. We are the body of Christ. We are all one in Christ. The middle wall, the barrier of separation, has been torn down by Jesus, and he has established peace. There should be no more enmity between us because of social classes or race or where we come from or whatever. Sometimes on football teams, that's okay. That was a joke, sort of. Deuteronomy uh, is to your right. Deuteronomy ten. Just keep flipping pages to your right or just punch it into your handy dandy device. Deuteronomy ten seventeen. The Lord your God is the God of gods, ten seventeen of Deuteronomy, and the Lord of Lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. Once again, we see the heart of God that he's not a God of partiality, but he wants justice for the orphan, for the widow, for the alien, and for the poor, as you can see in supplying food and clothing. If you turn back to the book of James, all over the Bible, we see God is not a God of partiality nor does he want his people to be. Proverbs 18.5 says, to show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. My my bride is a very real person, straight up. And uh, there's been times when she has been introduced to somebody and how you doing is the response. And then when they find out she's the pastor, pastor's wife, sometimes the response changes. Oh, you're the pastor's wife. Oh. And maybe you've experienced that before, where you, you get introduced somehow, and you're just, I'll take myself, I'm just Michael, Right? But then you get introduced as something and it changes and we all do this, right? If we find out someone... Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael and I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. There's 27 products up at the store right now, ranging from things like the teaching on 666 from the book of Revelation, the seven seals from Revelation, Scientology, Jehovah's Witnesses, The Anatomy of a Fall, How to Avoid Falling from 2 Samuel, and even teaching on the occult. Most recently, an interview with Frank Sontag about the New Age Movement and his personal testimony. Hey, when you go to the store and you purchase a product, you partner with us to reach more people like you. So go to the store, walkintruth.com, click on the store, purchase a product of interest, Buy it for a friend, and when you do, you'll be partnering with us to reach more people for the cause of Christ. We love you, we appreciate you. You can also give donations there at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Click on that store and partner with us today. We appreciate it. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. But then you get introduced to something, and it changes, and we all do this, right? If we find out someone maybe is in some level of authority, or maybe they have a, 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 they're on TV or radio, oh, are you amazed at what people will do to wait just to see a star, a movie star, walk by? (laughs) Seen some of those videos when the Beatles are playing and the girls are (laughs) passing out and stuff. Wow. We we can get enamored with people and their positions, right? But God says, that's not me. I'm not impressed. I'm not partial. In fact, maybe some of the most spiritual people on the planet are people that we could easily pass by and we don't pay much attention to them. When we open the doors of the church, the goal is, should be the love of Christ. That should be one of our major goals. A certain father always closed his prayer at the evening meal with these words, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and bless what thou hast provided. Papa said his little son, Every evening you ask Jesus to come and be our guest, but he never comes. My son replied the father, We can only wait, but we know that he will not despise our invitation. Well then, asked the little fellow, If we expect him to come and have dinner with us, why don't we set a place for him at the table? And to save further embarrassing questions, the father allowed the boy to do so. They set up a place. And just then, a knock came at the door. When they opened it, a poor, helpless, homeless child stood shivering in the cold. The son thought for a moment and finally said, I guess Jesus couldn't come today, so he sent this poor boy in his place. With little further conversation, The little beggar boy was brought and set at the empty place at the dinner table where Jesus was to sit. Because when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And I'm not sure that we look at life that way. We can easily pass people by. We can dismiss them based upon what they drive, what they wear, their education. But that's not God. And so James says, listen, James 2.5, my beloved brethren, He's speaking to people who are loved, but we all need to be challenged. He says, listen up. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love them? Listen up, beloved brethren. The poor have been chosen by God to be wealthy heirs of the kingdom. Don't you treat them like they're nothing. Don't you use their pocketbook to make you partial. I was in Nepal In India in 2001 and I met a man named John Monger and I know I'm gonna see him in heaven I'll recognize John because he has the biggest smile that never leaves his face and John was uh, in a country called Bhutan and he became a political refugee he was kicked out of his country he ended up in Nepal and he started preaching the gospel on the streets of Nepal and was arrested and thrown in prison for 18 months simply because of street preaching Now get this. He's kicked out of his country. Imagine, put yourself in his shoes for a second. Imagine you got kicked out of the United States. You ended up in Mexico. You're on the streets of Mexico preaching the gospel and you get thrown into a Mexican prison for 18 months. How would your attitude be after that? John never stopped smiling. And I said, John, knowing your story, why do you smile so much? And he went, Pastor Michael, I found Jesus, and nothing's gonna take this smile from my face. Man, I'll tell you. That's humbling. There, my smile can go away very easily. (laughs) How many of you have this in your vocabulary? I'm not amused. Have we become a little too serious? Maybe we need to lighten up. Maybe we need to see people as God sees them. But you have dishonored the poor man. Verse 6, is it not the rich who oppress you, speaking of uh, economic exploitation, and personally drag you into court? So let me just give you the backdrop for a second. Uh, It appears, and we'll see this later in chapter 5, that wealthy landowners were exploiting early Jewish Christians, because there were classes of people, and you were pretty much, there was a diminishing middle class, so you're pretty much either rich or poor in this society, and that's probably how you were going to stay. Wealthy landowners would hire workers, sometimes day laborers, and they would put them to work, but sometimes they would hold back their pay. And what could you do if you're a day laborer trying to fight a wealthy landowner? And sometimes these cases ended up in a court, or sometimes the because the wealthy person had money and the poor man did not, he could turn it around on the poor man and exploit him in court and drag him into court on false charges. And the poor man had very little way to fight the rich man. And it may be, and this is my own conjecture, that the rich man that walked into that assembly and was treated so well while the poor man was treated shabbily may have been that poor man's boss who was exploiting him or he may have been one of the wealthy landowners that was pulling these shenanigans on the church. And so James is saying, why would you celebrate that man and give him the best seat based upon his clothing and his jewelry when he is exploiting your brethren? Why would you ever do that, says James? You, you've made a decision based upon his dress, but his heart is an issue. In fact, Do they not, verse 7, James 2, blaspheme the fair or noble name by which you have been called? These individuals who were were being treated in a special way were not even Christians. They were blaspheming the name of Jesus and getting preferential treatment in the church. Think of it this way. A movie star goes into a major congregation that I will leave unnamed, in our country probably one of the biggest churches in the country but this movie star has openly denied the faith and i'm not talking about once i'm talking about multiple times yet they walk into the church and they're treated as royalty when they in essence have blasphemed the name of christ and the, from their public platform now you tell me why were they treated that way one reason They're rich and famous. That's that's what this has become all about. And if we put it into a modern context, there you have it. They walk in. It's a bit of a parade. It's a show. They're on the front row, but not because they're a committed believer in Jesus Christ. Not because they're necessarily a hungry soul just wanting to hear the truth. Because if that were the case, of course They'd have open arms. But they literally blaspheme Jesus in all other contexts, yet they are celebrated in the assembly at the expense of others who are overlooked because they don't have the same fame and they don't have the same fortune. Look, this is reality, folks. These folks were hurting the body, and yet they were being celebrated in the assembly. And James says in verse 8, if, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, the, the word royal there is basilicas, According to scripture, the scripture, you shall not love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. There is a royal law. It's called royal because it comes from the king of heaven, the king of glory. The king of heaven is given a royal law. The royal one, the ultimate king of kings and lord of lords says, I have a law. It's my royal law. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love your neighbor, verse 8, as yourself. If you do that, you're doing well. In Luke 10, there was a discussion with a lawyer, an expert in the law, about the essence of the law, and Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan. And remember that there are religious people who wouldn't help the man who was called Taken by thieves and beat up and left for dead. They didn't want to touch him. They didn't want to deal with him. But it was a Samaritan who came to his rescue. And Jesus said, Which of the three were a neighbor to the man caught among thieves? And they responded, The man who had pity on him, the man who had compassion. He was the neighbor. And then Jesus says, Go and do the same. Go and do likewise. The rabbis had a saying like this, go and do it. Go and do likewise. Go and fulfill the law. This is the royal law. The royal law is love. Do you struggle with favoritism? We all probably do to a certain extent. Maybe it's maybe there's a hidden partiality in all of our hearts that we need to go before the Lord and say, "Lord, is this me?" Some of you who are younger, you can see it. You can see it at school, can't you? There's that kid Who's dismissed? He's put into the corner because he looks different, or he he doesn't he doesn't you know hang with the cool kids, and he's 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 beaten up every day, whether physically or verbally or ostracized. He feels like he's nothing, and you see it. And my question for you is: Will you do something about it? I have a lot my heart and I'll tell you why because on the playground I'll confess this to you I was a bully um I was so insecure about all the other things going on in my life I let that come out on the playground and instead of coming to people's rescue I stayed in my own little cool world because I was more concerned about being cool than I was about that person And our world is, that's not just on the playground, you guys. That's everywhere. Social classes, exploitation, people who look down their noses at others. And James says, that's not it, man. If you're a Christian and you show partiality, verse 9, this is hard to take, but here's our Bible, you're committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles, what's your Bible say? In one, literally it doesn't say, in the original it just says in one or one point, the translators add that. But if you stumble in one, you have become what? Guilty of all. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, putting on the full armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.